Good morning. Welcome to Mount Pleasant today. I want to uh, say good morning and welcome everyone watching uh, with us online this morning as well. We're always excited to have that opportunity there. Uh, my name is Andrew Philbeck. I am in charge of the home groups here at Mount Pleasant. And I'm excited that I get the opportunity to be with you today. If uh, you're interested in learning more about home groups or signing up for a home group or just getting some questions answered, we have some uh, stuff set up in the comments today. You can stop by there on your way out. There's some big banners. Uh, shouldn't be uh, too hard to find, uh, but we'd love to talk to you more about that in case that's something that you want to find out more about. Well, I get the opportunity to preach with you today because my dad is preaching uh, at one of our mission partners in Havana this morning. So we're excited about that opportunity to partner with them. I know we've already done some things with them, but uh, we're excited that he gets to be there. So uh, say a prayer for him. Uh, you know, I, I know that this is a great experience, and we want to make sure that we can make as big of an impact there as possible. Well, whenever I get the chance to preach here on a standalone weekend, uh, I try to think about what's going on in my own life for inspiration. I don't know how that makes you feel today. Uh, but sometimes when, you know, my dad comes up and he says, hey, I need you to fill the pulpit for me, and you can talk about whatever you want to talk about, that can make things a little bit harder uh, than when he just says, hey, preach on this passage. It's kind of like going to the Cheesecake Factory for lunch, if you will, because it's like the world's largest menu. And sometimes you sit down and you flip through it, and the fact that there are so many choices and so many options and so many pictures, at least in my life, it makes it seem like it's a little bit harder to finally decide something than if you go somewhere that just kind of specializes in cheeseburgers, for example. And so, you know, I think about what's going on in my own life, and I think about how I can try to use that to uh, make an impact and, you know, what passages I can share. And as I was thinking about that this week, getting ready for this, I was just kind of overcome by the fact that I feel really busy right now. I feel overwhelmed right now in a lot of different ways. Now, Here's the deal. I'm not going to stand up here this morning and try to convince you that I am actually like the world's busiest person or anything like that. And I say that for a couple of reasons. One, honestly, I know that I could be busier. That's just the reality of my life. I, I, I recognize that in spite of how I feel. And the other reason I'm not going to do that is because I know that if we were to go around this morning and talk about our schedules and, and do things like that, I don't think it would take very long for me to find probably a number of people that had a busier life than me. Again, that's just the truth. But that doesn't change how I feel. And so I was thinking about that. And I was thinking about, you know, what I try to do when I'm overcome with this just sense of busyness and feeling overwhelmed and how I handle it and about my routine. And, you know, I recognize the fact, and I don't think that I'm alone in this, and that's why I'm sharing all of this to you today. I recognize the fact that when I feel really busy, when I feel really overwhelmed, a lot of times what happens in my life is that I focus so much on the things that I have to do that I lose focus on the things that I would say give me the strength to do them. And so from a spiritual standpoint, what I mean is, you know, when I have a lot to do in the morning, I can get up early, I can get ready early, I can get out the door early, and I realize that I haven't started off my day with the devotion the way that I usually do, or I haven't spent as much time in prayer as I usually do. 
Or I get so focused on my day that I, I think I just need to knock all this stuff out of the way and then I can go back and have some time to relax. And so I have a really productive day. I feel really good about what I accomplished, whether it's at work and at home or, you know, usually a combination of the two. And then I lay down in bed at night and I close my eyes. And then the first thought that pops into my head is, you never did your devotion this morning. You never had a quiet time. That's what I always uh, call it. You know, you never read your Bible. You didn't pray about this thing that you said you would. I'm sure that I'm not alone when I say that. And so I was thinking about how to walk with God on a consistent basis and in a consistent way, regardless of the busyness, the realities of life. And I, uh, it's kind of a random thought, honestly, but I was reminded of the story of Enoch from the Old Testament book of Genesis. You can actually go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. And we're going to read our text in just a moment. And when we read the text, I think you'll see why, even though it is kind of random, uh, this man's story popped into my mind when I was thinking about all of this. But before we do that, I want to ask you a question today. What do you know about Enoch? Now, here's the deal. There's really not a lot written about him in our Bible. So if you are a student of the Bible, you might honestly be able to sit out there this morning and say, I know everything there is to know about Enoch. That's not really much of a stretch. But at the same time, you might be here and you might say, well, you know, that name kind of sounds familiar. I don't know why it sounds familiar, but I can't tell you a whole lot about him. Either way, it's fine. And I say that because, you know, one of the reasons that I decided to talk about Enoch this week, and one of the things that actually appealed to me about his story and this passage after I read through it, is the fact that there's not a whole lot there. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about why that's appealing to me later on in my message. But, you know, there's not a whole lot there. And yet, as we'll see, there is definitely something unique, something special about Enoch that I think you and I can learn from and be encouraged by. So having kind of prefaced it all by that, would you go ahead and stand with me this morning for the reading of God's Word? We do this every weekend here at Mount Pleasant. I'm going to read Genesis chapter 5, verses 21 through 24, and you can follow along uh, while I read aloud. It says, When Enoch had lived 65 years... He became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God, walked with God, 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. Enoch walked with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. Thank you. You may be seated. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. Now, obviously, as I was thinking about what my walk with God looks like and what a walk with God looks like, that's the phrase that just stuck out to me as I was uh, thinking about what to preach about. And I was reminded of the brief, obviously, the brief story of Enoch. But then another thing about Enoch that is definitely worth mentioning is that if we were to go through Genesis chapter 5 and look at all of these different uh, accounts of the men that uh, came from Adam to Noah... Each of them would end in the same way. And then he died, and then he died, and then he died. This is true no matter who you read about, no matter how long they lived. And this is still a part of the Bible when, you know, people lived for hundreds and hundreds of years. But they all end the same way. And then he died except for Enoch. 
Then he was no more because God took him away. Enoch never experienced death. Enoch never experienced death. Now, that is amazing. It's not the thing that I want to talk most about today, though. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. We're not going to bounce around a whole lot this morning, I promise, but I want you to go ahead and turn over in your Bibles now to Hebrews chapter 11. And while you're turning there, I want to ask you a question. If you could pick only three words to describe your life, what three words would you pick? What words would you pick? Think about that just for a moment. Hebrews is a great book for a lot of reasons. There's, there's so much that we could talk about when it comes to the book of Hebrews. But uh, honestly, one of the things that Hebrews is most known for is what we see here in chapter 11. It's what we call the Faith Hall of Fame. And it's just this chapter where there's, you know, and there's obviously more to it than this this morning, but for the sake of time, I'm just going to say it's this chapter where you get name after name after name, and you get a brief account of basically what makes this person such an amazing person in God's eyes. We call it the Faith Hall of Fame. I'll just give you a few quick examples to help you understand in case you're not familiar with it. You know, Noah, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7 says, by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. So this is Noah and the flood. This is, you know, the 40 days of rain. This is the entire world being covered by water. Abraham says, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. This is the beginning of God calling his chosen people. He tells Abraham to go. He doesn't tell Abraham where to go or how long to go for or anything like that. But Abraham obeys. He just starts going. Moses says, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. This is, you know, leading the Israelites out of Egypt. This is the 10 plagues. This is walking across the Red Sea. This is Moses here. And there are other examples that we see in Hebrews chapter 11, and some of them get more information written about them than others. But at the same time, some of the people written about are so famous that even if you're not a student of the Bible, even if you don't really go to church that often, you recognize them. You know, names like Samson, names like David. They're so familiar in our world that we recognize who they are. Now, I have said all of that to say this. What did we read about Enoch's life in Genesis chapter 5, verses 21 through 24, that would make you think he should be listed here in Hebrews chapter 11 in what we call the Faith Hall of Fame? I mean, what amazing thing did he do? Now, we know what God did to him, but when we think about you know, someone like King David, or when we think about Moses leading the people out of slavery and, and all of the things involved with that, it's not really a stretch for us to understand why we read Hebrews 11 and see their names there. And yet, this is also what we see in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 5 and 6. 
You can follow along as I read. By faith, Enoch was taken from his, excuse me, from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. I would argue that we could sum up the reason that Enoch is listed here in Hebrews chapter 11 with three words. He pleased God. He pleased God. Verse five says he was commended as one who pleased God. And I love that because when I think about my life and when I think about my walk with God and when I think about what kind of difference that can make in my own life and what kind of difference that can make in the world around me and how God feels about my life and my walk with God. Sometimes it's easy to get a little bit discouraged and yet I see what I see in Enoch's story and I know that he pleased God. Here's the deal. I mean, I'm not trying to belittle what God can do through you and me this morning. I don't know. I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what God may or may not call some of us to do or some of us to be involved in. But if you're anything like me, this is what happens when I read through Hebrews chapter 11 or other similar parts of the Bible. I read through these stories and I get encouraged and I get inspired. But at the same time, there's this other little voice on the other side of my head basically saying things like, yeah, but you're never going to do anything like that. God's never going to use you to do anything like that. And I'm not trying to sound like I have some, you know, lack of faith that I'm struggling with here. That's just the reality of my life. You know, I'm never going to be King David. I'm never going to have strength like Samson. You know, that's just the truth. That's just the me being practical. And yet, when I read what I read in Hebrews chapter 11 about Enoch and the fact that He's there and he pleased God. That is also inspiring. That is also encouraging to me. And listen, it's not a mistake. He, he wasn't just put there as a way for the author of Hebrews to, you know, meet some kind of word count or to fill up some space. And this should encourage you this morning because, you know what? You can please God with your life. I can please God with my life. And we don't have to be famous to do that, we don't have to have some kind of grand moment that we can all point to and, and be like, well, this is what I did. We can walk with God day after day after day after day and please him because we're doing that. Now, there's more to it than that, of course, and that's what we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning talking about. And so, you know, if you and I, if we can please God in our walk with God, uh, you know, we're just going to use the same language that we see in Genesis and in Hebrews here, then it's a fair question to ask, well, how do we walk with God? How do we do that? I have three things that I want to share with you this morning that I think will help all of us. And I'm going to say this right now. They're very practical things, you know, they're very... um, at least I think, you know, easy to, to grasp things, but I want to spend some time discussing them because I think that they are extremely valuable. So you can go ahead and write this down next to number one in your handout if you're taking notes. You can do this. Walk in fellowship. How do we walk with God? 
We walk in fellowship. I mean, what did we just talk about as the descriptor of Enoch's life? He sought to please God. Because he wanted to please God, God was pleased to walk in fellowship with him. I think the first thing that this speaks to is the reality of Enoch's attitude toward God. His heart. And this is uh, something that we try to talk a lot about here at Mount Pleasant. The, the reality that God cares so much about our hearts and so much about our motivations and what's going on on the inside of our lives. Now, does this mean that, you know, if you and I say something like, well, I had the best of intentions. Well, that's not really what I wanted to have happen. This is what I wanted to have happen. Then, you know, no matter what, everything will be okay. No, but it does highlight the truth that God looks at our hearts. And this is something that we see throughout all of the Bible, Old Testament and New. Uh, for example, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, this is a familiar passage. It says this, The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That's from the story of when Samuel has gone to Jesse's house to anoint the new king of Israel. And all of these great, physically impressive sons are standing before him. And it's like, you know what? That doesn't matter to me. Because he's looking at the heart. In the New Testament, we see this in Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 through 35. Uh, Jesus says, Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees here. How can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. I mean, thinking about our attitude, thinking about our desires, you know, and when I think about this uh, image, this simple descriptor of how uh, the author chooses to talk about Enoch's life and just this idea of walking with God, to me, I think of a friendship. I think of a relationship. And I'm not trying to diminish uh, what it means to follow God or obey God in any way, but that's the image that I have in my mind. And you know what? I think that's a part, an important part of what our walk with God looks like. And it makes me think about the relationships that I have in my life. You know, I can remember uh, when I was first getting to know Kara before she was my wife, before we even started dating. And, and one of the things that we would do is we would just walk around campus together and talk. Now, I can't stand up here this morning and tell you anything that we talked about. But I know that I just wanted to spend as much time with her as I could. That's what was in my heart. And of course, it's not just true for um, romantic relationships or anything like that. I, I can think about growing up in Oklahoma and, and my friend there, I have a friend there named Lee, and so his house was on a corner at the end of our street, and my house was on the other side of the street, a couple of houses up. And so uh, what that means is that you could stand on our front porch and look into his backyard. They didn't have a fence. And so what Lee and I would do is we would sit on his back porch, because his parents obviously knew where we were, and my parents could just look out the front window and know where we were, and we would sit out there late into the night sometimes and talk. Now, again, I can't stand up here this morning and tell you what we used to talk about for hours, but I knew that I wanted to spend time with my friend. That's what was in my heart. 
And I think, you know, as simple as that may sound, that needs to be the way that our lives are described when it comes to our relationship with God as well. There needs to be an aspect of, you know what? I just want to spend as much time with him as I can. And, you know, I think that that's something that we can all understand. I think that that's not a very deep concept. But I also think that it's driven home with a little more force when we think about the flip side of what that can look like. And and what I mean when I say that is, you know, have you ever been uh, out with someone and it was maybe painfully obvious that they just didn't want to be there with you? I mean, we can think about it like this because it's an easy example. Have you ever been on a date with someone and you just know that they don't really want to be there? Maybe you don't really want to be there. We'll be more positive and not put ourselves in the bad spot this morning. I mean, have you ever gone out on a date with someone and, and you go out to dinner and you sit down and you guys haven't even ordered yet and you already know this just isn't going to work out? And so you sit there and you eat and you talk and you're polite and it's fine. But then you go home and people say, well, how did it go? And you're like, "Mm, not that great. And, you know, what do you say? Well, you might say a lot of things, but I know one of the things you might say is this. You know what? My heart just wasn't in it. My heart just wasn't in it. I just really didn't want to be there. And this is something that if we're not careful of, We can do this in our relationship with God as well. I mean, I I realize that there are a a lot of different ways that we can walk in fellowship with God, both in our personal lives and in community. Uh, But I just want you to, because we're here this morning at church or, you know, watching this morning, I just want you to think about what this means from a church perspective. And so all I mean when I say this, say that is this. Have you ever... Come to church one morning, but you know, your heart just wasn't in it. You kind of drug yourself out of bed. I know that I should go. I don't really want to go. Is that a good experience for you? Do you you ever feel like, oh man, I'm glad I did that? Well, maybe sometimes you do because the power of of God's word you know, it's that strong and it can get to you and it it can break through those walls. But at the same time, It's a relationship, and sometimes you get out of a relationship what you put into it. And so if you come, and obviously we're just using church as an example, but it could be almost anything. If you come kind of with a negative attitude, then chances are you're going to leave with a negative attitude. And so when we think about walking with God and walking in fellowship with God, we need to understand that first and foremost it speaks to our hearts, our attitudes, our desires. And we think about those earthly relationships that we have and how there are sometimes there are people that we just want to spend time with. And it doesn't really matter what we're doing, whether it has any value or not. We just want to be with them because we care about them, because we love them, because they're our friends, because they're our significant others, you know, whatever it is. And there has to be, there needs to be an element of that in our walk with God as well. And this was something that defined Enoch's life. I mean, we don't know specifics. And I said that's one of the things that kind of appealed to me about his story. And that's because, you know, like I said, when I read through Hebrews chapter 11 and I I see some of the names there, I can look at some amazing one-time events and I can know that I'm never going to be in those situations. I'm never going to do those things. But when I look at Enoch's life and I see him And I think about this idea of just daily walking with God. I can do that. 
I can do that. You can do that. We can do that, regardless of what kind of life we live, regardless of whether or not we travel a lot or whether or not we stay home, regardless of whether or not we think we have an exciting life or a boring life. This is something that you and I can do. And of course, you know, Enoch wasn't perfect, but when I think about the fact that he lived for 365 years and he was described as someone who walked with God and someone who pleased God, that is inspiring to me because it's this imagery of such consistency and and faithfulness. And it should encourage and inspire you as well. Write this down next to number two. How do we walk with God? We walk in fellowship. Number two, we walk in faith. We walk in faith. Now, we've already read what the author of Hebrews has to say about Enoch, so I'm not going to read the whole passage again this morning or anything like that. Um, But, you know, as is the case with all of the people written about in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, no matter how much information we get on them, uh, all of their stories kind of start out the same way with the same two words, by faith, by faith. And in many ways, even though this is the very beginning of their account, and even though uh, the author has so much to say afterwards, uh, this can answer pretty much all of our questions about this person. Think about Enoch's life, you know. Okay, Enoch walked with God. How did he walk with God? By faith. Enoch pleased God. Well, how did he please God? By faith. This is a great thing for us to realize and recognize in our lives. And I want to try and draw out some more practical aspects of this so that we can have a better idea of what this means in our lives and so that we can have a better appreciation of what it means to walk by faith. You know, because we talked about our last point about walking in fellowship and how that has to do with our attitude and, uh, you know, the, the inside of us and how, you know, what, what we think about God and, and all of that. And sometimes I think that that we can think, you know, well, if we walk in fellowship with God, then we're automatically walking in faith with God. If I have a desire to be with God, then, then I'm automatically going to have faith in God. But that's not necessarily the truth. I mean, I believe when we talk about walking in faith, we need to get to the spiritual substance here. And I think we see this in Enoch's life, and I think we need to try and see it in our own lives as well. And I say that because he didn't just enjoy being with God. He didn't just walk in fellowship with God because it was a good time. He did it because he trusted God. He obeyed God and he put his hope in God. And what does this mean? Think about our own relationships. If you're anything like me, you probably have some friends that you really enjoy spending time with. They're funny. You know that whenever you hang out with them, you're gonna come back with some great stories and some some great experiences, but... Do you trust them? Would you put your hope in them? Would you give them your car keys? Would you loan them money? Would you let them house it for you? Maybe not. I mean, I have some relationships like that. I have some friends that I love to hang out with because it's always fun. But when push comes to shove, I would have to say that I don't necessarily trust them. Not in a deep and meaningful way. And I I say this just because I don't want you to think that, well, all of this just kind of goes hand in hand with each other and we don't need to talk about these two different points because that's not true. We need to, to, to to desire to be with God, have the right attitude about God, but we need to go a step further than that. We need to trust him. We need to obey him. We need to put our hope in him. 
I mean, think about the time when Enoch lived. We're going to go back to Enoch for just a moment. I know this is kind of a difficult thing to do this morning because we just don't know a whole lot about this time period in, in, in history. Um, you know, as a pre-flood world, if you're familiar with uh, all the writings in Genesis, the Bible says that he was in the seventh generation of Adam, from Adam, excuse me. So uh, this means that his great-grandson was Noah, Noah who built the ark, got the animals on two by two and the flood and all of that. So what does this mean? Well, it means that Enoch lived at a time when the world was becoming so corrupt and so far removed from God that not long after he was taken up into heaven, God destroyed the whole earth. God destroyed the whole earth. Now, obviously, the world that Enoch lived in physically was a lot different than the world that you and I live in today. But from a spiritual standpoint, I don't think it was that different. Maybe it was even a little bit worse. I mean, because for things to get to the point where God says, you know what, I'm gonna go ahead and destroy everything so I can start over again, it's gotta be pretty bad, right? And the reason I'm talking about this is because, you know, Let's just use Hebrews chapter 11, for example. Sometimes when we get to these uh, kind of concise chapters, we read through something like Hebrews chapter 11, and you see these great men and women of faith. We, we read their stories, and we think, you know what? This was just a given. It was just a given that they were going to follow God, that they were going to honor God, that they were going to obey God. Because of the world they lived in, because of the family they came from, because of the upbringing they had, you know, whatever kind of excuses we might make. But I don't think that's the truth. I mean, Enoch lived in a time when a vast majority of the people in the world did not obey God, did not love God, maybe didn't even believe in God. And so what this means is that just like for you and me today, he had so many choices, so many options for how he could have lived, what he could have valued, what he could have put, a, put his hope and his trust in. And yet he chose God. He chose God. And here's the deal. I say that honestly this morning as a way to give us all hope. Because if this is the world that Enoch lived in, and he still walked with God, and he still pleased God, then you know what? You and I can do that too. You and I can do that too. As we learn more about God and, and have more consistent fellowship with God, we can lean into that relationship rather than, you know, pulling back and trying to keep pieces of ourselves away from him. And, you know, maybe this is more true in Enoch's time than it is today. Maybe it's not. I just feel the need to say this. You know, when we talk about walking with God and walking in fellowship and walking in faith, you know, we're not talking about this kind of belief in just a God or like a higher power. We're talking about the God of the Bible. And I love this because when we seek to please God, he rewards us. That's what we see in Hebrews 11 verse 6. It says, he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, obviously, one of the ways that he rewarded Enoch was that Enoch never experienced earthly death. I'm sure there were other ways as well. You and I, we can be rewarded by our walk with God. 
And on the one hand, we don't know what that means. You know, maybe it's going to be something like a long life. Maybe it's going to be just the absence of things in our lives. You know, we don't experience some of the hardships that other people do. I don't know. I'm not promising that in any way. But at the same time, we can read through the scriptures and we can see a lot of promises that God has for us. And we can take comfort in the fact that we do know what we can expect. Just a really quick list. In James, you know, we see that he promises wisdom. 1 John, among other places, you know, we know that he promises forgiveness of sin. In John, we know that he promises freedom from sin. In Philippians, we know that he talks about how we can experience peace. In Matthew 6, verse 31 through 33, you know, I just have uh, summed up there all that we need, but it's because uh, Jesus is talking about when we seek first his kingdom, all these other things will be taken care of. And he's going through this list of, you know, not worrying about what you'll eat, what you'll wear, all that kind of stuff, because God's going to take care of you. That's not an exhaustive list, but I just wanted you to to get, you know, a little glimpse or a taste of what walking in faith with God looks like and what it means. We put our hope, we put our trust in him. And when we do that, We can look forward to things. All right, number three, lastly, real quick. Write this down. We walk with God, we produce fruit. We produce fruit. I always try to make the points line up, but I could not bring myself to put walk in fruit as the final point. It just sounded too strange to me. So produce fruit. Here's the deal. Obviously, we don't know a lot about Enoch's life. But... We do know that when a person walks in fellowship with God and when a person walks in faith with God, it's not something that happens passively. It's something that produces fruit. And so we know that he lived a fruitful life, a spiritually fruitful life. I mean, think back to what we just read a a few moments ago from Matthew chapter 12. Uh, Jesus says, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. This is the kind of life. A fruitful life is the kind of life you and I can expect to experience when we walk with God. I'm going to try to do this really quickly because I'm running out of time. Uh, But here's the deal. A lot of times when I think about producing fruit in my life and what kind of life I want to live, I I immediately go to serving others. And, and you know, the, the fruit in my life is something tangible that can be seen in someone else's life or that makes an impact on someone else's life. And, you know, maybe you're different, but that's just what I think about. But one of the things I've been really convicted of lately is the fact that the fruit that needs to be produced, first and foremost, is fruit in my own life that affects and transforms how I live. You know, I said that I was thinking about what was going on in my own life for inspiration for this, and this is one of the things that I've really been dealing with, thinking about how I need to change, how I need to grow. And a lot of the times, this is what I think we tend to do is we don't like to think about that. We don't like to think about the spiritual things that need to take place in our own life and the growth that needs to take place in our own life. And so we cover it up. And it's easy to cover it up by focusing on serving others. Now, do not mishear me today. I'm not belittling or diminishing the need to serve and the value in service. But have you ever said something you shouldn't have said or 
Maybe even just thought something you shouldn't have thought and then you try to make up for it. How do you try to make up for it or cover up for it? You try to do something with your hands to make up for it, right? You ever gotten in trouble at home and so all of a sudden you start doing the dishes for a couple of weeks to make up for that? You ever done something at work you shouldn't have done? Said something to your boss you shouldn't have done and all of a sudden, you know what, I just, I'm gonna stay late. I really feel compelled to finish this project and put some more effort in to try to make up for this you're not going to say it like that. And I'm not, and again, it's just kind of tricky to talk about because I'm not even saying that that's wrong, but I'm saying you can't do one and ignore the other. When we think about walking with God and walking in fellowship and walking in faith and producing fruit, don't just think about what it means for everyone else around us. Think about what it means for you. I mean, when I think about my family, my friends, the people that I know, and when I think about, you know, who has the most room to grow and who do I have the most influence over and where can I make the most uh, difference, it's my own life. It's me. That's just the reality. It's so much easier to to just do and point acts of service than it is to say that we're walking with God and and, and point to a transformed, changed heart and life. We need to do both, not just one over the other. All right, I need to wrap things up. I hope you understand what I'm talking about, especially in that third point. I've tried really hard to to communicate it in a way that makes sense because I believe in it so much, but I know that it can be kind of muddy at times to talk about. Here's the deal. All believers, no matter what time period they live in, are called to walk with God. It's just the truth. To walk in obedience and truth and in godliness. And at the same time, all believers, no matter what time period they lived in, lived in a culture that fights against that effort. And so what we need to understand and what we need to be willing and able to do is to take this one step, one day at a time. I realize that that is a cliche, but I also realize that there is great value in it. It is. It's easier to point to just one big thing. I'm going to do this one thing, and after that, I'm not having to worry about anything else. That's not life. That's not the reality of life. Day in and day out, we need to get up, and walk with God, no matter who we are or what we're doing. And I think that I can sum this up for us into two big categories. I know we had three points this morning, but I think there are two big categories. We walk with our attitude, and then we walk with our actions. We walk with our attitude, and we walk with our actions. I'm going to read this uh, real quickly to you this morning, and then I'll uh, close us in prayer. It was just something that I read about Enoch from one of the books that I have in my office, but it says this. In the midst of a corrupt society headed for total destruction, because remember the flood is not that far off, Enoch's walk with God was countercultural and heavenly in character as his earthly end demonstrates. And I just love the simplicity of the fact that it's countercultural and heavenly in character because that's the kind of walk you and I should strive for each and every day.